Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in once again. It is David Summers hosting another Studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. Now we step back into the ring, back into time with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller, what is going on in the Great Smoky Mountains, Ron? It's beautiful, my man. Uh, had a nice day. Uh, feeling a little bit like Florida again, man. Uh, <laughs> you know, about, supposed to get to about sixty today, and uh, real, real pretty. A lot of blue sky, and uh, you know, we've had a, we had another snow uh, a couple days ago, about three days ago, I guess. And well, it's uh, another beautiful one, and. Uh, but it's nice, nice day now. It's cleared all off. Not much snow hanging around anymore, and I think we're supposed to get another one in a couple of days. So, seems mm-hmm. like it's snowing a lot more here in Tennessee than it was twenty years ago when I was living up here. <laughs> but not enough to own a snowblower, right? Oh no, man! I'm not going to get one of those, man. <laughs> well, I don't understand why, stud. I mean, <laughs> well, man, I think that might bring more snow, man. I go buying one of those things, and then this will probably give me a reason to use it. Uh, but, oh, you know? but you could help your neighbors. There are a lot of things you could do with it, stud. Yeah, yeah, I guess I could. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Hey, listen, a lot is going on, and I got to mention that the numbers are looking fantastic for all of these studcasts, and since I'm the guy who kind of keeps up with your numbers and how many studcast listeners might be out there, I want to start out today by saying congratulations because this is really something special. Last week's studcast, number 234, had an all-time first-week record number of listeners. I mean, it was really good. I know you often use the term on fire, and that's exactly what your studcasts are right now, on fire. When we add all of the platforms, you're on 30 different platforms, wherever podcasts can be found is where you're going to be found with the studcast. But then when you start adding in YouTube, because you've started, we've started adding these shows to YouTube as they come become available, then the numbers on YouTube are actually adding to that, of course. And it just keeps going up. So this is exactly what your studcast are. And that is on fire. After almost four and a half years, you've been doing this. Your studcasts are more popular now than ever. I mean, did you ever see this thing coming like this? No, no, I certainly didn't, man. Uh, you know, it's just been amazing. And uh, I got to thank fans out there. They're the ones that make it happen. And 
And I really, really appreciate the loyalty of uh, so many of the great fans that I have out there. And thank you all very much for, for these spectacular numbers. Uh, you didn't even mention the website. You can pick it up there, too. So, you know oh, yeah. what I mean? Yeah, there it's just uh, you know it's it's pretty it's pretty out there and easy for fans to find and uh, and I'm I'm really thankful for that and uh, you know thanks uh, thanks Dave you know and and I have uh, I have some uh, very as I mentioned great and loyal fans and of those two hundred and thirty four stud cast yeah, yeah. Uh, we've gone uh, basically from the early nineteen twenties with my grandfather Roy all the way to nineteen seventy eight and the Welch family history <laughs> and the ride, man, uh, it just keeps getting more interesting and it, for me. And I know the story. So, you know, I think it's it's probably pretty captivating, hopefully, for the fans out there that are listening each week. And we only have four stud casts uh, in, uh, into 1978. And this is going to be the best year so far, uh, no doubt, because uh, we've got a new territory. That's starting up southeastern Pensacola is just about to open up. Yeah, probably within the next uh, five, four or five stud casts, we're going to have a second territory to talk about. Uh, and then we've got uh, stuff like this recent hair versus hair match in Knoxville. Uh, sorry, but I have to say it, man. Uh, that can that thing kind of set southeastern on fire again. <laughs> you know? so, so yeah, you know, not just the stud cast are on fire, but. Wow, the stud cast and the and and, the, and what we're talking about territories, all of this is pretty much on fire. Yeah, I, you know, and I'm sorry, I, we have so much to keep up with. As I said, over thirty platforms for uh, finding your podcast, and then YouTube, and then of course, I got to check with your webmeister to see how many hits you're getting there. And I know that's a ton. And the stud store, everything else is happening happening there. I know you're getting a lot of hits there, so we definitely would have to add that into the figure as well. All right, so speaking of On Fire, that's exactly what your Southeastern Rewind YouTube channel is also. The number of subscribers continues to climb. I was checking on that the other day. It's like, whoa, this thing really is growing. And I hear you have something really special coming there as well. Tell us what's up. Well, I sure do, man, uh, and I'm really, really happy about this. Uh, and we just finished, uh, as uh, people that are going there regularly and uh, those that haven't been there, you know, might want to take a look at it. Uh, we've just finished on every Sunday. We've been using these USA TV shows, which were really highly acclaimed shows. Gordon Soley, great host, uh, uh, great show. Uh, and uh, now we've, we've gone to, through all 23 of those episodes. So to replace those shows on Sundays, which that's the day that we were putting up new USA TV shows every week, uh, we're getting ready to introduce a, a very, the very popular Southeastern Pensacola shows. So we're going to go into Southeastern. Uh, some of the biggest names in the history of the sport started in Pensacola down there or participated in that company. Guys like Hulk Hogan, Honky Tonk Man, Dr. D, David Schultz, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, Arn Anderson, <laughs> and the list just goes on and on. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing now is we're now compiling, and and, and I want to, uh, as I said all along, put my TV shows in the order they were produced. So we're compiling and putting these shows into the order they were produced. 
And we're trying to find as many as these historic Southeastern Pensacola shows as possible, obviously. And until that process is complete, and that's going to take, a, it may take a couple of weeks here, a few weeks for that to happen. I'm really thrilled to announce, man, I have found a significant number of Southeastern matches and interviews from not Southeastern Pensacola, from Southeastern Knoxville, man. I've been uh, out there uh, uh, asking for help and people that could find me things. And uh, wow, fans, uh, my fans are just fantastic. And wow. So I have come up, man. Uh, the, this is amazing, Dave. Mm -hmm. uh, these, 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 um, these, I have some matches and interviews from the Southeastern Knoxville days, mm -hmm. classic films from the past, going back as far as 1976. Wow. Uh, and many of these have never been seen anywhere on YouTube before. Oh. So the first one is going to be added this next Sunday on February 6, 2022. And it's going to be, uh, it's actually from the main event from the sixth ever Knoxville Coliseum show. Uh, first ever Southeastern NWA non-section lights out match ever between <laughs> Robert Fuller and Don Carson, man. Whoa. YouTube history is going to be made on this one, man. Uh, <laughs> it's it's not been seen ever anywhere on YouTube. Are you kidding? I mean, you've discovered Southeastern matches and interviews far back enough to originally be shot on film. How did you acquire these? How, do, how does that work? Wow. Well, uh, uh, I have a great friend named Bo James yeah. that, uh, that has collected things for many, many years. And thank goodness he has collected the, some of these Knoxville matches that, uh, wow, are just going to be amazing. I'm just thrilled to have them on here, man. And, uh, <laughs> so uh, some of them don't even have sound on them, man. They're actually shot with on film, mm -hmm. 16 millimeter. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so some don't have sound, some do have sound. But the ones that don't have sound, man, uh, you can't tell it because if you look at the crowd, they're making some sound. <laughs> they are sure into these matches. Uh, huh. So, and fans can get ready to see matches, not just from the Coliseum in Knoxville, but also from the famous amphitheater, man, outdoor amphitheater. Mm -hmm. So the next one, it's a series. The next four, the first four are going to be, as I said, the first one is coming up next Sunday. It will be on the next Sunday afternoon. And that's going to be Robert Fuller against Don Carson. The second one is going to be me against Dick Steinborn. <laughs> the third one is Bob Armstrong against the great Mephisto, Frankie Kane. And the fourth one is Ron Wright against Louis Tillette. And uh, so we're going to have something that fans have never seen anywhere in the world. Uh, and uh, really looking forward to that, man. <laughs> oh, dude, that is amazing, Stud. I mean, it's just like you did with your wrestling companies. You're breaking new ground on YouTube. So congratulations. That's awesome. Well, I'm doing my best, man, to bring wrestling history to fans everywhere, man, everywhere in the world. So every Sunday, starting this Sunday, the Southeastern Rewind YouTube channel will become Southeastern Sunday and uh, with many never before seen YouTube matches and interviews. Uh, we're going to do it until we get ready to start releasing the Southeastern Pensacola television shows in their order. All right. So new continental TVs on Thursday, classic Southeastern films on Sunday, new stud stories on Tuesday and a new stud cast every Wednesday, your Southeastern rewind YouTube channel is becoming the place 
for old school wrestling fans. You can subscribe today, ring that bell icon, and we'll ring your bell every time something new goes on Southeastern Rewind. That is awesome, Stud. All right, so where do we ride today? What does the trail hold? Well, in today's training, man, uh, I think we're going to introduce uh, the man behind the so-called Southeastern officials that we keep talking about on each stud cast. You know, I'm always saying we're the Southeastern officials. So it, it turns out that we've gotten to a situation here where it's time for it. Uh, and, uh, and that's because of the way Bob Armstrong and I were both eliminated from Southeastern in the last uh, basically uh, two months or three months uh from this program right now, uh, we were both lost loser leave town matches. Uh, the way that uh, Rob in a hair versus hair match ended up winning and getting his head shaved, you know, and then, and then there's a new mass man in the territory uh, that they call the Tennessee stud. And, uh, mm-hmm. and that's created quite a controversy too. That, so uh, it kind of requires at this point that, uh, and what we did back in 1978 at this time was we brought in the man. So uh, we're going to look at the fifth card in the month of January 1978, uh, five matches in one month, very unusual, eight great matches on this card. It includes a World Junior Heavyweight Championship match. We're going to discuss the TV that promoted the card, the introduction of a never-before-seen Southeastern commissioner, I just mentioned, and we're going to hear the results of that card, the attendance of that night. And this time, for the first time, I think we've ever done this. We're going to announce the attendance for the entire month of January, 1978. Wow. So, and it's uh, the largest month in Southeastern's history by far. So, so we're going to have another great learning tree question in this one. A lady asked, how did the Tennessee stud dress in the ring compared to Ron Fuller? <laughs> All right, so so it sounds like another big one, Stud. I can't wait to hear who the commissioner for Southeastern was. Well, you, you're not going to have to wait too long, Dave. Uh, in this today's training, we're going to temporarily be returning to Knoxville from Southeastern Pensacola. We've been focusing on Pensacola in these today's trainings, but we're going to go back to Knoxville because of this commissioner. And the finish and the you know the finish of that hair versus hair match between Robert and Ron Wright, uh, two stud casts ago, it kind of has set Southeastern Knoxville on fire again, man. I mean, the territory was just rocking. So last week in last week's TV, I think fans that listen will remember that Rob had a pretty sympathetic, bald heading, bald headed first segment of the TV show, man. Uh, and he really got a lot of sympathy, man. And uh, so uh, we're going to return to Knoxville, and that's going to be in this today's training. And that hair versus hair finish created much more than just one big crowd, man. It started a string of them. It forced Rob to bring me in as the mass Tennessee stud. He needed the help. <laughs> um, and it also opened another door that I had not considered before, hmm. uh, before all this went down. So I've been constantly referring to the Southeastern officials, along with Les Thatcher. My brother talks about him. Ron Wright complains, Don Carson, the assassin, and others. So it was time to put a face on the Southeastern officials, uh, and especially the head man. Obviously, that meant one guy, the man in charge, and uh, he was introduced for the first time ever on the TV show of January 28, 1978. 
His name was Don Curtis. So just a few facts about Don Curtis. Uh, I know that a lot of people maybe around the country aren't familiar with him, mm -hmm. but he was born in Buffalo, New York. He, he became a famous athlete for the University of Buffalo. He played football, and he also wrestled. He started training with Luthes in 1951. His early years in the sport, he spent in Canada, New Zealand, and Australia. And in 1958, Don Curtis met Eddie Graham. Eddie Graham in 1958 was a booker for Vince McMahon Sr. Uh, in, uh, in New York. So Eddie teamed, uh, Eddie teamed up uh, Don with Mark Lewin, who was a great wrestler, man, uh, been around for many, many years, all over the world, wrestled everywhere. And they won the United States Tag Team Championship twice in that year in 1958. Ah. Two years later, Eddie Graham moves to Florida, and he gets involved with the Florida Territory and then ownership. Uh, and uh, he, he brings in uh, uh, Curtis, and he teams him up with himself. And, uh, and they win the Southern Tag Team Championship in 1960, Eddie Graham and Don Curtis. And then Don shares that title over the next uh, few years with three of the best wrestlers to ever put on wrestling tights. In 1962, he partners up with Joe Scarpa, who's going to become the future Jay Strongbow of WWF fame. Uh -huh. 1964, he's going to wrestle with the legendary Cowboy Bob Ellis. Mm -hmm. And in 1967, he's going to wrestle with one of my – my dad's friends and mine too lived in our home in Tucson with us, Jose Lothario. Wow. So, I mean, uh, you know, he had some tremendous partners and, uh, Don died in night in 2008. And, uh, but he was inducted into the university of Buffalo's hall of fame for both wrestling and football. Now that's pretty heavy duty. I mean, you can get in for one, <laughs> but you gotta be a heck of an athlete to get in for both. And in 2009, he was inducted into the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame and the museum. Wow. So it sounds like he just a, is a magnificent athlete, Stud. Why did you consider him a good fit for Southeastern as commissioner? Well, he was. When you looked at him, man, he had the perfect example of a wrestler's body. Uh, he was a great shooter in the ring and a really, really tough guy. And he was extremely and very well respected by wrestlers, man. They, wow, <laughs> they, they paid homage to him, man. And he was he was one of those guys that you didn't mess with. Uh -huh. and, uh, and most importantly to me, because it was my company, he was really very great on TV, well-spoken on television. In my opinion, he was the perfect man to represent Southeastern. It sounds like it sounds like he was not going to be the guy to be pushed around. So, all right, but but why now? You've been in business for more than three years. Why at it now? Well, you know, I kind of got into a trap here. The hair versus hair finish. Uh, it not only set the Knoxville territory on fire, but for the first time, it had created enough controversy to require someone among those regularly mentioned southeastern officials to step forward and represent the company. Not only is it's past time now to go, well, the Southeastern officials say this or say that, it's time to see a face. So uh, Ron Wright and his new team had been rolling pretty much roughshod over the company 
for a couple of months, three or three months at least at that point. And they had forced both Bob Armstrong and I out of Southeastern. Uh, we lost lose or leave town matches because of them. And now my brother had a bald head after winning a hair match. So that, as far as I know, had <laughs> never been done in wrestling where a guy put up his hair, he won the match, but he's the one that got his head shaved. Yeah, right. So, yeah. you know, that, that was pretty crazy. So somebody with all this stuff going on, somebody needed to stop it. Somebody needed to take charge. So Rob certainly had had enough of a beef with the company to demand to see somebody about what had happened to him. So Don Curtis was also going to have to deal with my coming back to action too. Mm -hmm. uh, all of a sudden you got a masked man named the Tennessee stud mm -hmm. who's recently returned after a loser leaves match. So, uh, and Ron Wright and his guys, uh, they, they wanted answers. You know, <laughs> who's going to end? What are we? What's going to happen about this? So these things, all these things combined, are going to require some explanation and some real authority to set. So, so Ron Wright had questions, huh? Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So for all those reasons, I think you're right. It seems like a perfect time to introduce the face of Southeastern. I can't wait to hear how you did it. So what is the card for January 29th? 1978 in the Knoxville Coliseum. Well, it was a double main event night, man, and it had two, eight total matches on this card, uh, like the last one it had, because we're loading up cards. We're making TVs to go into uh, southeastern Pensacola. Uh, the opening match on this card is Eddie Mansfield up against, uh, and he's on his way to Pensacola. Uh, one of the guys that's going down there, he's wrestling in the first match against Jack Ruffin. Mike Stallings uh, is going to uh, wrestle Randy Colley, who's going to be one of the assassins in southeastern Pensacola. Mike Stallings is going to Pensacola as well. So Joe LaDuke and Thunderbolt Patterson in the third match, uh, which is a big-name team. Both these guys are stars, man, and, uh, and an extremely unusual combination. I know it was the first time they ever wrestled together as a team. Mm -hmm. They took on David Schultz and the Hangman. Now, the Hangman was Roger Smith, who's going to be the other assassin when we get down to Pensacola. So he's going to be on his way down there. And the guy that he's wrestling partners with, David Schultz, is going to be on his way to Pensacola. So Ronnie Garvin. Uh, in the next match, had been disqualified last week in his first time ever that he wrestled Roy Lee Welch. And uh, he's going to uh, – Roy Lee, by the way, is also going to uh, Pensacola. Sounds like everybody's leaving, man, doesn't it? So, right, yeah. yeah. So this time the match, uh, it's it's not a regular match. It's a no-DQ match. Ronnie Garvin against Roy Lee Welch because Ronnie got disqualified through Roy over the top rope on purpose. Uh, probably trying to hurt him, and, um, you know, this time he's going to have opportunity to hurt him. Next match was a special event. Uh, Ron Wright was making a rare appearance in the ring at this point. He was pretty much a manager only, but he's going to wrestle Jimmy Golden on this card. The next match was the return match for the Southeastern Championship, Gorgeous George Jr., and he'd gotten his stomper disqualified the week before, because Ricky Gibson, <laughs> George got too close to the ring. Ricky Gibson kicked him in the face from inside the ring, and Gigi went nuts. He just jumped in the ring and started putting the boots to Gibson, and <laughs> referee rang the bell, rang Gibson's hand, and then uh, they both started working on uh, Stomper and 
Gibson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stopper and Gigi working on Gibson and Jimmy Golden had to come down and help him, man. So, uh, so uh, in this week's match, that's uh, going to be the same championship match for the title, Gibson against the Stomper. But uh, this time, uh, Jimmy Golden's going to be in Gibson's corner, man. So the first main event was another classic match. Uh, it was for the World's Junior Heavyweight Championship. Nelson Royal defending against Tony Charles. These guys are just having tremendous classic matches. The last match of the afternoon was the return match for the Southeastern Tag Championship. The new champions, Robert Fuller and the Tennessee Stud, are defending these belts against Don Carson and the Assassin for the first time. And obviously, they're managed by Ron Wright. That, dude, that's a pretty good card. I called you, dude. I hope that's okay. You're 400 miles away. Okay, so that could be that could be an even better card than last week's sellout. So tell us about the TV that that set all this up. Saturday, January twenty eighth, nineteen seventy eight, the day before this card. Well, let's open the show as usual. He ran down the card uh, like he did every day for for that particular day. But when the cameras backed away, there was no still photo on the set behind him, as there always was, usually was, practically every show. Instead, Les told fans that he had been a, there'd been a big growing controversy lately and and, and today for the first time in Southeastern history that he was going to be happy to introduce from the state of Florida, the commissioner of Southeastern wrestling, the great Don Curtis. Uh, now, a lot of people didn't know Don, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, but they still gave him a nice round of applause. And uh, and they're going to get to know him during the course of this show. And Les announced that, uh, that Don was there for two very important reasons. And uh, Don Curtis didn't wait any longer than that. Uh, that's the reason I like the way he handled things on TV. He just took it right uh, from there and went right to work. He told fans right off the bat that Southeastern had got some very good news two days earlier that the NWA world champion Harley Race had a booking fall through and that when asked by the NWA president, Sam Muchnick, where Harley would like to come to fill that booking, (laughs) he answered Southeastern. I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So on February 20th, Three weeks and two days uh, from from the day that this TV was being made uh, on a special Monday night. We, in order to get him, we had to go on a Monday night. So we had to move from Sunday to Monday night. But on February 20th, the Monday night, Harley Race was going to dep- defend his 10 pounds of gold in the Knoxville Coliseum. Wow, that news Got Don Curtis off to a great start. The studio exploded, man. Gosh, here we got a world championship coming in two weeks. And it was a really good way for Don to make a great impression. Now, I always like to get right into action on TVs, man, as quickly as possible. So Les invited Don to join him later in the personality profile, special personality profile. And they were going to discuss the second important reason that he was there. So Rob and I, Rob and the Tennessee stud, I should say, came to the set with the new belts. And, uh, boy, they got a real big roar from the studio audience. Uh, Les congratulated. And and we watched the video of our win from the Sunday, six days earlier. And at the end of that video, after the match was over, uh, 
Extra attention was paid by Les and us uh, as we talked about the attack of all three of these guys after they lost the match uh, for the championship. And it showed the fans coming to the ring and, uh, you know, it, it was it was a wild and crazy deal, man. And, uh, you know, they, they carried us back basically to the big curtains in the back. And uh, it was it was really a, a fantastic moment, Southeastern, man. And there was a lot of animosity between us and the wrestlers that were scheduled to be in the first TV match. So to avoid a confrontation, we left the set in a different way and we exited around behind the set. And the former tag champions, Carson, the assassin, and the manage, manager, Ron Wright, they entered through Studio B. That prevented us having any type of encounter near the set. They could, they had, we didn't want to have them pass us uh, going to the ring, and uh, that's a that's the way we're going to handle a lot of situations in which mm-hmm. we have these real, real controversies going on between mm-hmm. teams. Mm-hmm. So the former champions, they took their frustration, man, out on their opponents, and, um, wow, they left both both those boys laying, man. And then they came to the set with Les for the first interview and Rob and the stud went into studio B. So this upcoming match the next day was exactly what should happen with any loss of a championship. We were given the former champions the opportunity to win the belts back. That's the way it was supposed to work. And uh, most of the interview, imagine this was taken by Ron Wright. So, and Ron Wright's fury, man, was aimed at two people. Uh, he made his feelings known about Ron Fuller losing the loser leaves match and being allowed to return with a mask on and calling himself the Tennessee stud. <laughs> he wanted to know what this commissioner was going to do about that. Huh. And that he had an even bigger problem, demanded to know why this Southeastern commission was even here at all. Why did, why did they have him here at all? Mm-hmm. He said wrestlers should be allowed to do whatever they wanted with no <laughs> one in charge. Now, who should be able to tell them what's right and what's wrong? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, <laughs> and that's a, that, that's to be figured to be Wright's uh, point of view. So uh, when finally the cameras came to us after Ron and mouthed off and had his long run as usual, uh, one look at Rob's bald head answered that question, man. That's he's here because of what happened to Rob and uh, and a lot of other things. So the anger between us and them, uh, it's going to be discussed uh, big time in the personality profile later in the show. Uh, <laughs> Ronnie Garvin, man, he kept the flames burning, man, in the studio. He entered for the second match of the day. And Roy Lee did what Ronnie did last week. Roy Lee was on the TV. Ronnie Garvin set in on the match. So Roy Lee went out and set in on Garvin's match. And uh, so Roy watched it, and he talked to Les about what Garvin had to say during his match the week before, how Garvin had made the mistake. Uh, you know, Garvin told the story about making a mistake, a challenge, and the wrong guy in Canada, and he got hurt early in his career. And uh, Roy said he was proud to have survived that first match with Garvin, especially since Garvin didn't beat him. He couldn't beat him in the match. He threw him over the top rope because he was having a hard time beating him, and he tried to he tried to hurt him that way. Hmm. So he said knew he said he knew Garvin threw him over the top rope to try to hurt him. Hmm. Uh, he uh, understood that, and uh, and he said that this time Garvin had asked for no disqualification match. They're going to wrestle again the following day. And he said he was just proud not to get beat by a wrestler of Garvin's ability. 
You know, Roy was pretty humble and, you know, just just surviving and not having Garvin being able to beat him. Him meant a lot. So it was almost as, as if Ronnie Garvin, who was in the ring, could hear what was saying, being said at the set there. And uh, wow, he destroyed his opponent. Maybe even more so than Carson and the assassin destroyed theirs, man, that they left laying. And uh, obviously Garvin, as usual, went to the top rope to do his dangerous knee drop in his opponent's throat. And by the time, uh, you know, this time though, before uh, jumping off the top rope, he stood on that top rope and he pointed at royally at the set, <laughs> like to say, this is you. Uh-huh. What I'm going to do is you. <laughs> and, and then on the instant replay, I watched after this happened, it looked like Garvin's head actually touched the ceiling of the building wow. above the rafters of the studio. <laughs> His, his body almost disappeared uh, above <laughs> above the rafters. And, wow, it was unbelievable. And, uh, you know, if I had been Roy, I would have thought, how to have second thoughts about the, the going there yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, you said he almost disappeared. He probably went above the lights, which means dark. So that's uh, – you've said he's come close to hitting the lights before. So that's – Yeah, yeah. He was above God, the lights. In this good one. God. You couldn't, you couldn't see anything but his legs. How much do you, How much did he weigh, roughly, do you think? Gar- Garvin weighed probably about uh, 230, 235. And here comes his knee across somebody's throat. Yeah. yeah. From, uh, wow. From, from outer space. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. What I mean? From way, way up. There. That's some tremendous control when he can control it. But, of course, you know for a fact that – he uh, he missed at least once or twice, especially in your case. So, wow. All right. So, listen, great studcast so far. The highlight of the show today may be the upcoming personality profile with the Southeastern Commissioner, Don Curtis. Hey, it's a good spot to take a break. Let's do that. And remember, by the way, to find Southeastern Rewind on YouTube, subscribe, ring the bell to get reminders on when the greatest stories in wrestling are going to be dropped on YouTube. You ring our bell, we'll ring yours whenever something new happens. And be sure to tell your friends about Southeastern Rewind. Okay, that personality profile with the brand new Southeastern Commissioner, Don Curtis. That is coming up on this studcast when we come back. Subscribe now to the hottest YouTube old school wrestling channel out there. Southeastern Rewind constantly adds programming. The new weekly schedule adds a new stud stories every Tuesday. They can be anything from former NWA world champions to Ron Fuller's experiences. The great thing is they're all told by one of America's best storytellers, Ron Fuller Welch. The most recent weekly stud cast is released every Wednesday. Thursdays feature the release of another great content. Continental TV show with the legendary host Gordon Soley. Starting in 1985, it was the first TV show in the country produced from a major arena, Boutwell Auditorium in Birmingham, Alabama. Each week ends with a Southeastern Sunday. Right now, every Sunday has a new classic film match, never before seen on YouTube, from the fantastic original Southeastern Territory in Knoxville, Tennessee. Subscribe now to the best old school YouTube channel out there, Southeastern Rewind. Ring the icon bell, and we'll ring your bell every time something new is added. Okay, welcome back. David Summers, again, hosting another Studcast with the Tennessee Stud. And we go to segment number two. Okay, Stud, what did Don Curtis have to say on the personality profile? Well, this profile, in my opinion, man, was one of probably the most important profiles in the history of of the company of Southeastern Wrestling. 
the studio audience, because it was live, and they were just feet away from Les and Don. Uh, they seemed to, to 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 know that before I did. You know, there was there was dead silence in there when this conversation between the two of them started. And due to the nature of professional wrestling, uh, there were kayfabe reasons for Don's public appearance. So the main reason for doing this was the fact that. There were starting to be rumors in the Southeastern Territory during this time frame that I owned the company. And, uh, and I'd always feared that that might happen. And, and I wanted to stop it as quickly as possible. If, and if I did, uh, if it had become public knowledge, uh, my role as owner and wrestler would have had to change forever. I just couldn't let that happen. So this was my way of taking care of that problem along with solving others at the same time. And Don Curtis was the perfect guy for the job. So right off the bat, Les covered a lot of history of Don Curtis, as I, as I just did earlier in this, in this studcast. Les even added that he lived in Jacksonville, Florida, and was a part of the championship wrestling from Florida company, which was true. And uh, then they quickly got down to business. Uh, Don began with how he and the other officials of the company had been watching things closely, basically since November of 1974, when Southeastern started, and that uh, they had never it had never been any of their their of their intentions to as to as the as a, as part of the uh, the owners of the company to make themselves public. He admitted lately things had begun to get a little out of hand. And it was decided that, that somebody had to step up, exhibit some control. And uh, he and his other owners, they decided that he's the one that's going to step up and take control. So he announced that this was his first appearance on Southeastern TV. And he assured fans that there weren't going to be very many more. of them. He didn't intend to be on the program very often. He didn't want it to be about him. It's about the wrestlers. And that he had been in town already for a few days, and he had already spoken with the people involved and the problems that were brought up and the problems that brought him here. So he described the problem, named them out. He said the first problem is the horrible way Bob Armstrong and Ron Fuller were eliminated from Southeastern and loser league matches with the extreme outside interference from the combination of Don Carson, the assassin, and the guy they bragged about as being the, the man, the devil himself, uh, Ron Wright. And uh, then fans hearing that from him, they instantly began to warm up a little bit to Don Curtis. Uh, there was a little applause. They were like, wow, hey, this is cool. He's going to take care of some of this. Uh, he said, so Don continued. He said, the second problem is that in the recent hair versus hair match between Robert Fuller and Ron Wright, Robert Fuller won the match. Ron Wright should have had his head shaved. And in fact, quite the opposite happened. And uh, the, the three men, those same three men that, that he had just mentioned, were involved in that problem as well. So this time, the, the studio, they cheered a lot heavier. Wow, man, he's getting right to the point. And then he said the third problem. He says, he says there's an allegation of the three men involved in the first two problems. And their allegation is that Ron Fuller had returned too soon after a loser leaves match 
and he's wearing a mask and calling himself the Tennessee stud. Hmm. And now he had become the Southeastern tag champion when he wasn't even supposed to be here, not even <laughs> supposed to be able to wrestle on a card. Mm -hmm. So Les was intrigued. And as, as, as I'm sure fans were uh, at this point, and Les asked the obvious question, uh, how are you going to settle this? So Don answered, I already have. He said, oh. I met first with Robert Fuller and his brother, Ron Fuller. I apologized for Robert, to Robert for the way he lost his hair. I apologized to Ron for the way he was eliminated from Southeastern Wrestling in his loser leaves match. And he says, and, and I also have apologized to Bob Armstrong two days earlier for the same thing of how he was. He was uh, beaten and not in a, in a proper way and had lost to loser league. Now the studio, they applauded, man. They were like, wow, this guy's cool. And Don announced, uh, you know, uh, he continued on. He says, and now in my meeting with Carson, the assassin, and Ron Wright, he said, I answered their question about what I was going to do about this new wrestler called the Tennessee Stud, about returning their tag belts to them and about sending him out of Southeastern. And he said, I told him that since they had caused most of these problems that I'm out here discussing with you today, Les, I wasn't going to do anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the studio popped. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Like, oh, boy. <laughs> There's a guy in school. So, uh, you know, so then he finished, you know, he says, so, so he, and he said that they, they continued with that conversation with the three of them and him. And he said, they asked if, uh, if they could prove that the Tennessee stud was Ron Fuller, uh, what would he do then? And, uh, he said, I told him if they could remove the mask from the wrestler called the Tennessee stud in a one-on-one -on -one legal manner, and prove he was Ron Fuller, he said, I told him I'd eliminate him from Southeastern Wrestling forever. Now the crowd gave a little bit of a moan there, like, whoa, you know, but he hadn't finished yet. And and, and he figured it out pretty quick with the crowd. He, he knew how to work a crowd. He ended it with a bang. He said, but, he said, I also told him, I said, if the three of you do anything in an illegal way to make that happen, that you remove his mask and prove who he is, then all three of you are going to suffer the same consequences as he would have. <laughs> I'm going to eliminate all three of you from Southeastern forever. <laughs> and wow, studio really exploded that time. No. So uh, let's thank you for coming and uh, taking care of the issues. Well, I mean, it seems like the other guys have kind of had their way for a pretty good while. So it sounds like the Southeastern commissioner was a really big hit with the crowd and seriously meant business. So who was on next? And how do you top that? Can you? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, your program's half done. So, you know, we're going to we're going to roll it some more. And uh, gosh, we got Nelson Royal, world junior champion on television. Wow. And uh, he was really beginning to have a lot of heat with Tony Charles, man. And uh, so when he goes out, Nelson's beginning to get heat with the crowd, too. They despise him at this point. And he got as much booze as Ronnie Garvin got and maybe as much as is a Don Carson and the assassin and Ron Wright. I mean, you know, uh, they didn't want to see him. That's for sure. And uh, Tony Charles, who was meeting Royal in the next uh, next day for the Royal for the World Junior Title, and uh, Tony Charles went to the set 
to watch the match with less, as, as was pretty common to watch your opponent wrestle. You're going to be wrestling the next day. Roy worked with a young baby face. And uh, while he worked him over really good, gosh almighty, Royal was a, he was a hoss, man. He, he, could, he could get it done. And, uh, and when he finished his, his, his opponent, Pendy, then he looked right straight to the set, and he motioned for Tony Charles to come and get some. And, boy, that was all it took with Tony, man. Tony left that set like a, like a shot out of a rocket, man, and uh, he was in that ring in no time. And when he started in, Royal started out. He took a powder, quick like. So they had a really heated interview right after the match. And uh, these two guys, man, uh, they had a very unusual, I, I, they, I really think, a real dislike for each other. Uh, you know, not just the people talking about it on TV. I think there was a little bad blood between them in real life. So the last match on the show was the new tag champions, which was Robert in the Tennessee stud and the crowd went crazy, man. When, when they came into the studio and uh, they had the belts on and the match was a very quick win. Um, and both of them end up getting the same hole, the fuller leg lock on both the opponents at the same time. Uh, that's a pretty rare situation, but they were all four in the ring and the referee couldn't control it. So once they, we got the toe holes, uh, he asked if they gave up and that was a very quick answer. And, he rang the bell, and but it left us both on our backs and pretty vulnerable. And uh, and when that happened, man, uh, we got the we got the rushed, man. We got the <laughs> the the bar the barroom brawl type of rush. Carson, the assassin, Ron Wright, they didn't miss the opportunity to take advantage of the situation. We're on our backs, and they charged into the studio and right straight in the ring. They started stomping both of us, man. They grabbed Rob up and they threw him over the top rope. And right away, all three of them started for the mask. What? Mask, first day <laughs> on TV. Yeah. You know, and uh, so suddenly uh, a face appeared, man, that uh, fans were familiar with. Uh, they'd, they'd seen him in the ring uh, and around the buildings for years since I'd gone there and uh, started Southeastern. Uh, Buddy Fuller came flying into the ring, man. Wow. And, uh, and boy, he body started flying in all directions, man. Guys didn't want too much of that. And, uh, there, and the studio just erupted, man. Wow, went crazy. So the last interview of the show had Buddy Fuller, Robert Fuller, and the Tennessee studded to set with Les. And Carson, the assassin, and Ron Wright were over in Studio B. So we're all set up to do the interview, and before anybody has a chance to speak, Don Curtis arrives at the set. And, uh, and before anybody says anything, he started the interview. He, he, and he started by speaking to the three wrestlers who were in the other studio, Carson, the assassin, and Ron Wright. And he said, uh, you know, he said, you guys in our meeting uh, didn't listen very well, did you? You know, I told you not to break the rules anymore, you know, and uh, and you've, you you have a return match now for the Southeastern Tag Championships tomorrow uh, with Ron Wright as your manager. And, and I'm going to change that match a little bit right now. And he turned to uh, Buddy. And uh, he asked, uh, Buddy, uh, uh, do you have a manager's license? And uh, Buddy answered, no. Mm -hmm. So Don Curtis uh, said, you do now. 
And he said, you can be in these boys' corner tomorrow afternoon, too. And he said, I don't know, you know. And and when he said that, I don't know whether the crowd in the studio or the three guys in in the Studio B uh, screamed the loudest, man. I mean, the crowd went crazy, and they went crazy in the other room, man. The interview uh, went off, man, with all three of them screaming about not being treated fairly, man. This ain't right. Uh, oh, this ain't going to go. We're going to do this. It was it was pretty wild at the end of the show. Uh, and they weren't going to get treated fairly the next day either, I can tell you that. <laughs> you think? Really? <laughs> Hey, I'm telling you, it is hard to imagine that most fans around the world got a TV show like these every Saturday. Southeastern fans from Knoxville all the way south to the Gulf of Mexico from 1974 into the 80s were the luckiest wrestling fans on earth. And listen, I'm one of those. It was always there, and it was a can't-miss type show in southeast Alabama and Dothan, where I'm from. So, I mean... I can definitely back that up. So what happened the next afternoon in the Knoxville Coliseum? Well, Eddie Mansfield beat Jack Ruffin. Uh, Mike Stallings won over Randy Colley. Jimmy Golden got a win over Ron Wright, uh, which didn't surprise me. You know, um, I, probably not many of the other fans either. Joel Duke and Thunderbolt Patterson, uh, they got the best of David Schultz and the Hangman. Uh, Ronnie Garvin and Roy Lee Welch wrestled to a 30-minute time limit draw. Roy Lee still remained unbeaten by Garvin. It was pretty amazing. You know, I think everybody was probably uh, at this point going, wow, uh, how long can he do that? In the Southeastern title match, Ricky Gibson, managed by Jimmy Golden, won by disqualification as he had the week before over the Stomper, couldn't win the belt. And uh, Gorgeous George got involved again. Uh, Golden got involved. I mean, uh, it was one of those deals that just got out of hand. So the first uh, main event of that afternoon for the World Junior Heavyweight Championship, Nelson Royal and Tony Charles had themselves a knockdown, drag-out fight. Wow. I mean, the wrestling was out the window in this one. They had had so many great wrestling matches. (laughs) This one was not a wrestling match. Both guys were bleeding, and the referee stopped the match about the 45-minute mark. He couldn't control him anymore. He just – there was no wrestling anymore. Wow. Uh, you know, and I'd never seen Tony Charles in that type of match. And Tony, man, he, he carried his own. He, he really he, – he surprised me. Wow. Uh, and and the, I, I tell you, these two guys, their dislike for each other, man, uh, I think the fans really saw that uh, that day maybe for the first time. These guys don't like each other. And they were two of the best tacticians in the ring together going at it. And and it's kind of sad that they were just duking it out that way. Yeah, I mean, and I, and I think that happened about halfway through the match, man, where it really turned uh, turned around and yeah, and never went back to any wrestling after that. Yeah, uh, wow, it was just a brawl and uh, most unusual match for those two guys to have. Uh, and they're going to be uh, in, in a few weeks down the road. There's going to be two world championships on the line, and they're going to go back at it again, man. Uh, so. So, uh, you know, uh, and the fans really enjoyed those last two matches. So I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, uh, the last match, Southeastern Belts, it wasn't much different than the bloodbath before it, man, in the world junior title match. Ron Wright got involved in the match first. Um, 
uh, Buddy Fuller out there on the floor. He didn't do anything until Ron Wright got involved, and uh, that's all it took. The referee, you know, disqualified Wright's team. But the, it didn't stop there, man. Uh, this thing turned into a six-man brawl. Uh, and, I mean, it, we were fighting all over the building. And the second referee came down, which is most unusual. Huh. And he really couldn't get it under control either. So, uh, <laughs> like I said, the fans really liked those last two matches, man. Uh, it was it was a wild, wild day in, uh, in the old Coliseum. Yeah, I bet it was. And I bet they did enjoy that. So what was the attendance for this afternoon match? That's I mean, I think that, like you said earlier, that you would give us. You, matter of fact, you were going to give us the attendance for the whole month of January. 1978. Yeah. So this last Sunday afternoon match, the fifth in the month of January of 1978, uh, drew 5,800. And the entire month had had five total events, uh, all in the Coliseum. We put in those five matches 28,450 fans into that building that month. Okay. Uh, That was an average of 5,690 people per event. And it was by far the best month in the history of the Coliseum for any renter. Wow. Uh, you know, wow. wow. Just, uh, <laughs> in southeastern Knoxville's history, it was the biggest month in that history of that company so far as well. Uh, there were probably less than 10 cities in the world, Dave, that did those kind of numbers for wrestling in a five-week period in 1978. That's, I mean, that's pretty remarkable stuff, Ron. So let's, let's see, we're good on time. So let's get to the learning tree question for today. We're going to discuss some wardrobe, stud. Barbara Holt, Miss Barbara Holt says, how did the Tennessee stud dress in the ring compared to the real Ron Fuller? Well, well. So, you know, yeah, wardrobe. Yeah, it's just it's a wardrobe day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's a great question, actually. You know, the quick answer is the, is the two of them dressed a hell of a lot different. You know, that, that's a quick answer to mm-hmm. it. But, uh, you know, this, that, this question is a great one because wrestlers in 1978, this, things started to change in this sport. The, back in the 40s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, even the 60s, uh, guys didn't care what they wore to the ring. It wasn't important. It didn't. It wasn't. Uh, it didn't make any difference, you know. And we're just about to reach the point where they're going to start playing music for guys to come in. So you know, wrestlers about that time frame in 1978 were really starting to consider what they wore to the ring as being important. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I can remember my dad going to the ring with a towel, and uh, and he was go- he was there with more than most wrestlers. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, it, it was it was no- you did not go uh, you didn't go with any type of flair at all, any type of uh, you know you didn't. So when I lost the loser lead town match in Knoxville in late 1977, I knew that I was going to be coming back as the Tennessee stud. I knew it was going to be a couple of months, at least down the road. It actually turned out to be a little more. And, uh, and I felt like I needed a wardrobe change, wardrobe change, because I had a new name, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) So Ron Fuller had for most of his entire career wore these baby blue wrestling tights. (laughs) He had a high, these white high-top kangaroo wrestling boots, 
and they had these little blue insets on the both sides of them that uh, that matched his color of his tights. And he also wore a baby blue and white striped uh, waist length jacket to the ring. Hmm. Now that was more than a whole lot of wrestlers wore at this hmm. point, <laughs> but uh, I felt like you know. Uh, I, I'm going to have to really have a different persona here. So yeah. I thought it was time for a change, especially since I was about to have a new name and, and I was about to start wearing a mask, which I had never done before. So my good friend, Johnny Walker, Mr. Wrestling 2, who wore masks for many, many years, he was married to one of the best seamstresses in the wrestling business. His wife could sew. She was marvelous. And she was also a wonderful lady. Uh, her name was Olivia. And uh, she did most of Ric Flair's robes, and, you know, after she had done mine for years. Uh, she did mine before she ever started doing his. But uh, he got his idea from seeing some of mine. So I changed my wrestling colors uh, because I'm going to be the Tennessee stud. I started wearing uh, uh, my tights uh, and uh, and the tights were uh, either that reddish, that would, my colors were reddish, brown, and yellow. It kind of was, a, I thought it was a pretty good little mix. And I was going to wear either reddish colored tights that went with my jackets and stuff, or I was going to wear yellow tights. And so I ordered some new kangaroo wrestling boots from my friend in Sydney, Australia, a guy that had made my last pair that had lasted me for five years. Gosh, I found out kangaroo is much tougher than leather, you know. And uh, they were the they were the same um, reddish brown. Uh, he made these boots just like he made my first pair, except the color of these were reddish brown, the main color. And on the sides where I had the little blue insets, uh, they were yellow instead of the the baby blue that my tights were. And they, they were exactly the same uh, color, obviously as uh, as my tights and uh, and my jacket was going to be. So she and I had many conversations about what I wanted so far as a jacket was concerned. And uh, I finally had to go to, to Atlanta, uh, to Rising Two's home, to their home, to, to be totally measured. She wanted to make sure it was perfect for me. And I worked on and off with her for probably a month after that, to trying to get the patterns and everything perfect. I wanted something more than what I'd had uh, in my early part of my career as Ron Fuller. More than just one short jacket, I wanted a long floor-length robe that I had never had before. And uh, obviously, I wanted the robe to be the same color as my boots, and uh, and I wanted a big logo uh, on the back of, uh, of the robe. And, uh, and I wanted to go ahead and get a, uh, a short-waisted robe and one long robe. So the logo on the back to me was critical. I mean, uh, uh, and I wanted to do something different, something that I'd never seen anybody do before. So I had her create for me this uh, big, huge horse head, uh, like a side view of a horse. Mm -hmm. And uh, the head and the head was big enough. It went all the way across my entire back. Uh, I wanted yellow sequins, man, uh, flying from the horse's nose. It looked like fire was coming out of his nose. Yeah, uh, I wanted uh, red sequins uh, for his eyes, and and I wanted the name Tennessee above the horse's head and the word stud underneath it. All of that in sequence too. Hmm. 
So the mask had to be different than anybody else too. And uh, so the same colors, it was the same colors as the boots and, and the ropes. And the most of the mask was reddish brown. It had yellow around the eyes, little yellow sections around the eyes and the mouth. And on the sides of the mask where my ears were, I had these small yellow horse heads over my ears in the spots where my ears were. And uh, they were the same shape as the horse's head that was on the back of the jackets. And then the final touch was I put yellow initials on my forehead with the letters T.S. Obviously, man, you know who that's for. So I received my boots from Australia about a month early. And everything from Olivia arrived two days before the match. The wow. first time I was going to go in the ring as the Tennessee stud. <laughs> and the funny thing, Dave, uh, when I put it on, I felt like a stud more than ever. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure the wrestlers I worked with didn't much like it. I probably threw a few more wrap-arounds, as the guys called my punches that <laughs> night, than usual. And uh, and many others didn't like it after that either, probably. <laughs> wow. All right. That is another great one, stud. Absolutely. YouTube, Southeastern Rewind. It is where you find everything Ron Fuller Welch, plus Southeastern Continental and USA TV wrestling shows. Don't miss the classic 1976 film of the never before seen on YouTube match between Robert Fuller versus Don Carson. It is the first of the Southeastern Sunday weekly classic match series on Southeastern Rewind. You got to check it out. Subscribe now, ring the bell icon, and you have found the fastest growing old school wrestling channel anywhere on YouTube or anywhere else. Every time something new is added to the channel, we will ring your bell. You can be certain of that. If something new happens, we'll let you know. On Facebook, please do not friend request the stud on his Ron Fuller Welch Facebook page. It has a maximum of 5,000 fans, and it's been full for years. To become friends with him on Facebook, simply go to either his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud, or Ron Fuller Welch author page. Like and follow him there. You automatically become friends that way. All three Facebook pages get the same post and information and all at the same time. We welcome all new friends from the Tennessee stud. On Twitter, follow him on Ron Fuller Welch. Find everything on his website, tnstud.com, studcast, super studcast, historic videos, photo gallery, his stud store with souvenirs of all kinds, autograph photos, tremendous continental DVD wrestling five-pack sets, t-shirts, Tennessee stud mask, and the chilling novel Brutus. You can find it all at tnstud.com, tnstud.com, all that stuff, plus every studcast, every super studcast, it's all at tnstud.com. That's a lot. Hey, stud, I don't know how you do it. You stay busy all the time, so you're already planning for next week. I know that. So where to next week? Well, I, I think uh, next week in today's training, uh, we're going to take take another trip back south to, to Pensacola. And uh, we're going to be uh, sending, we've been sending these TV shows. I haven't talked about that. We're going to talk about that a little bit next week in today's training. Uh, we're going to have, we've been making TV shows, two of them, uh, every Saturday in Knoxville for about uh, three weeks. And they're going to run to about five weeks. 
before we actually go down there and open up that company on March 3rd, 1978. Uh, so that's only about four stud casts away. We're going to be talking about matches in Knoxville and uh, matches in uh, Dothan, Alabama, as an example, uh, on the same stud cast. Uh, so, uh, and, uh, you know, in our today's training, uh, we're going to head back into February of 1978, Knoxville, a first ever six man tag with uh, Buddy Fuller, Robert Fuller, and the Tennessee Stud versus Don Carson, the Assassin, and Ron Wright. There's two other tag matches on this big card, and Thunderbolt Patterson is going to get his first shot at the Mongolian Stomper in the Southeastern title. We're going to cover another great TV, the results of the card, and the attendance. And the learning tree next week uh, comes. Uh, from a recent episode, uh, a, guy, a guy that calls himself Saul asked, when making presentations to the TV stations and other media, did you get questions that forced you to break kayfabe? Let them know that you were not only the owner, but a wrestler, something you said you wanted to hide. Hmm. How did you handle that? So thanks again, everybody out there listening. We sure appreciate it. And, uh, Please tell others about us. Take care of yourselves and uh, may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at David Summers Productions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.